Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Tisha Mazuz. On this week's episode, I was joined by Oliver Legg. He's one of the co-founders of a recruitment business called Aspirin Search. They specialize in the cybersecurity space. And I've known Oliver for a little while. I've really respected the journey that they've been on over the last two years. And in those two years, this is what they've been able to achieve so far. In their second year, they did $1.35 million in revenue. And they ended the second year with around five people. Now, we do speak about how they've approached you know, growing their business, their go-to-market strategy. They entirely focus on the US market and have done that from the very beginning. So we go into the details on how they've gone about that. But where we really go into the granular on this uh, episode is the tools uh, and smart things that they've invested in that's really helped their team be successful and have the uh, opportunity to stand out in, as we all know, a crowded marketplace. So we talk about their BD strategy that has really enabled them to hit those sorts of numbers, which has really paid off for them. And Oliver gives some really good examples in this conversation as well. So enough from me. Let's get into this week's episode. Ollie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here, especially the the week of your rebrand as well. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, thanks for making the trip. I appreciate it. Obviously, we've spoken a few times. Obviously, spoken to Joe as well. So I've enjoyed seeing, you know, the journey that you guys have gone on. I'm really excited to talk today about this two-year entrepreneurial journey that you and Joe have been on in building your recruitment business together. Just to give everyone listening some immediate context of, you know, where you're at, because what we're going to focus on today is very much the last two years, although you've been in recruitment for over six years. So first year you did $1.2 million in net fee income and it was all, like you said, like 99% perm, right? Yep. And then second year was $1.35 million net fee income and the second year around like five people around that. Uh, six people. Six people. And yeah, that was uh, that in terms of net fee income. And then I guess the other thing, so is it all still very much perm? We did our second contract placement this week. So uh, yeah, so two, yeah, yeah, that massive contract book. (laughs) (laughs) You've always and only do the American market. Yep. And that's not like just the East Coast, it's like you do... Everything US, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, all perm as I said, and your, you know, niche is cybersecurity. All right. Well, let's have some fun then. Let's first start with like, you know, what you really would have had to think about when hiring for your business. Like what what characteristics and traits do you believe make up a highly successful recruiter in today's market? All the reasons that people always give on here are like 100% right. So the the biggest one's always what resilience, work ethic, intelligence, um, like emotional intellect. And it's all all 100% right. But Like what we're really trying to do now is find people that have the underlying drive and mission focus that enables them to come back day after day doing this job. Because yeah, like recruitment can be shit sometimes. There's a there's a lot of hours in the day, even even the good days where it's it's hard. And if you're not driven to really do like big things, then there's much easier ways to make like fifty, sixty k, right? Whereas if you're mission focused on it could be anything. It could be some people just want to be dripping in like designer gear. Some people want to have nice cars, nice houses. Um, some people just want to make sure they're providing for their family. Their wives never have to work so they can look after their kids. Like that's my personal goal for my wife to be able to always look after my, my children. And that's what she's fully on board with as well. And some people just want to retire early. And like recruitment's that job where it can make all that happen in a really short time frame. But only if you've got the underlying goal to have resilience and to have that intellect to be able to do it. So I think it's uh, 
everything else can be taught as long as people have the underlying drive to, to make it happen. And what sort of questions do you ask to get to find out if people have that? We've got to go deep. Because everyone say, yeah, you say, oh, what, what, what are you doing it for? And everyone's like, oh, I want to want to have loads of money. I want to not worry. Like, I want to buy a house. That's like the de facto answer. And I think it's about going, it's just going that level deeper and, and understanding, okay, but why and what? And have you actually thought through what you need in order to do that? Whereas if it's just, oh, yeah, I want to buy a house. It's just it's that easy answer, right? Whereas if they're like, yeah, I want to do this, I need this amount of money, this is how long I want to do, want, need until I do it. And it's like, okay, this person's like, they're, they're, they've properly thought it through. Yeah. yeah, it's like a genuine answer rather than a just easy answer to give. Mm. So let's get into this business journey then. So correct me if I'm wrong, so you and Joe worked with each other in the previous company. Yes, yeah, so Joe hired me as a... Little green face recruiter, resourcer. So Joe hired you, you progressed as sales director, and then did Joe progress in that business as well, right? Yeah, so it was um it was another really early stage. So Joe was the first employee of of, of that business. I joined a year later. Yeah, small firm, um, purely focused on the the UK uh like technical cybersecurity market. Um but yeah, Joe and I were were kind of key parts of helping that business grow. Um and then we just thought, you know what, we wanna we wanna do things our way. Um and uh, have our, our own mark on things. So why why don't we just start with like because you just said that there, like what was the initial strategy for ultimately acquiring clients? Because, you know, that's gonna be how you're gonna be able to, you know, start making money, working jobs, having vacancies that you can fill. So what was yours and Joe's initial plan on one, the strategy on, you know, how are we going to go about acquiring clients? What's our, you know, go to market strategy? You know, talk to us a bit about that on like version one of what, what that looks like. Did you always know you were going to focus on the American market? Like talk to us a bit about, you know, how you crafted that and what that initially looks like. Mm. Our initial strategy was it was always going to be US because um, we didn't we didn't want to get in the way of our restrictions like at all. So we were like, well, the easiest way to do that is focus on a market we've we've never even looked at. Joe managed to close a, a, a five role retainer of it was just shy of one hundred and forty thousand mm. dollars the week before our business actually was incorporated <laughs> on Company's House. So we were we were having to hold off actually signing the contract until our business was officially a, a business. So yeah, like he. he he just, yeah, in, incredible start in having that in literally the day one there was roles to work. We set out to, to do the same thing as before, just in the US, so kind of technical security roles. And we, we did that for the first kind of six months, well, no, seven, eight months or so. And then... I can't remember exactly how it happened, but it was all it was all Joe, and he 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 managed to build a relationship with Sequoia Capital, so like one of the biggest, most prominent VCs, and then they introduced us to one of their security vendor clients who were hiring for go to market talent, so sales sales engineering, uh, to build their their Northern American team, and from that point we kind of had like a almost like a eureka moment we were like right our our pure bd strategy now is going to be focused around building the underlying relationships that all of the hiring managers and the co-founders of these vendors the people they actually listen to and the people that are advising so if we can get in and build relationships with the advisors of these vendors then we're almost going to be the the kind of default partner and that's that's the strategy we've been doubling down on ever since. That's super interesting. So it sort of happened organically. Yeah, yeah, kind of unplanned. Our business is now 80, 85% go-to-market focused. Oh, wow. Um, that was never the intention. I thought it was all more technical roles. Yeah, so we do we do a few. So we still do some like security engineering and what we call enterprise security, which uh, we, we want to build that out but we've kind of accidentally built a business around the go-to-market side. So we're just investing a lot into, into that. Well, let, let's go into that then, because if, that, if that's been pretty pivotal and been the strategy that you doubled down on. So like just, just for everyone uh, listening, just to make sure that this sort of resonates and people understand. So you said there, you know, vendors. What does that mean? So a vendor is a business that builds and then sells a, a, a technology, like a tool. Mm. So they have a normally a, a software product, often a SaaS product, and then in our world, it's very specifically a cybersecurity product, which they would then sell to companies. Yeah, or or government. Given its security, we do quite a lot in the like federal uh, federal government sure. space. So what you're saying is, instead of going directly to them, because you had that introduction and that success in a advisor or a you know a, a PE firm or you know that type of community. 
introduce you to the vendor why was that such an aha moment was it like because you got introduced by them they were they like trusted you straight away was it a lot more easier to negotiate you know good quality terms was they a lot more committed like what is it that you experienced which made you go yeah we should only be really trying to break into accounts this way so I'll talk you through the project. It was a it was a four headcount project. Um, so three enterprise salespeople and then one enterprise sales director um, to to build out their Northern American sales team. And bearing in mind, it was a like it was a pretty high value project, all retained with cancellation clauses and like a fully locked in retained project. You'd expect you'd need to jump through quite a few internal hoops to get that kind of project signed off. And I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was kind of a case of, oh, like we trust you already because you've come through this recommendation. So the VC route has been huge for us. So is it the trust element you guys have experienced then? That underlying trust. So we, I spoke to a CRO of, of one of our, it was a new, we didn't place him, but it was a new CRO of one of our, one of our clients a couple of months ago. We spoke to him about 10 days after he joined the firm and he said his first week he'd had, he reckoned it was about 40 to 50 different bits of outreach purely from recruiters. So you've got emails, phones, texts, WhatsApps, emails that these guys are getting absolutely spammed by. And like, how the fuck are they going to choose someone? Like they're probably just not, they're just going to ignore people. But who are they going to listen to? They're going to listen to their advisor, their investor, the person that's integral into their business. So if they come in and they say, oh, well, look, you need to hire salespeople. This is the firm you need to use. They're going to trust that, especially in the market at the moment. There's so much noise. Like a lot of the 180 recruiters are now being told, well, you've got a BD target on your head. You've got to go out and do your own outreach. They may or may not have been taught how to do that properly. So what you've got is you've got a, a, a huge amount more people trying to win the roles and speak to managers than ever before and if you aren't doing anything differently and if you haven't got like a a genuine differentiator then like how on earth are you going to shine through the noise so i think that's really important i think it's important businesses provide those tools to their consultants yeah couldn't agree more would you mind if we just focused on the VC piece, because that's going to be pivotal, and then we can talk about you know the tools that you guys have really worked on developing in your business that you found to be really effective as you've been on this journey for the last two years. So you had that great experience, and you're like, we have to, you know, like this would be great if we had more introductions, more companies that we could work with because they trusted us immediately. How did you then go about increasing the number of VCs that viewed you as their you know, one of their recommendations or one of their trusted partners when it comes to hiring and, and talent and people. Like, how did you initially think about how are we going to get more VCs like that to be on board with us and introduce us? Like, what, what was the initial approach? A massive slog of outreach and a massive slog of trying to get our name in front of these people, utilising any any existing relationships that we we had. And so we, we worked... I say we again. It's so. So Joe does most of the the, the, the BD. Um, so he he focuses very very heavily between him and I. He he does most of the, the the sales aspect. He was been doing that flat out for probably a year year and a half now. And I'd say at the start of this year is when it really started paying dividends. So there was a long long slog of just not really getting much for it, and almost almost starting to to doubt it. And, and being like, is because they're not quick wins. It's not a case of, oh, I'm going to call this hiring manager and I might actually pick up a role off the back of one phone call. So it's been a lot more time investment. But just doing it remotely, I, I don't think would be effective. So we invest a huge amount of time and money into to getting in front of these businesses. Um, so we do m- multiple trips to the US, to Tel Aviv. We hold roundtable dinners with, with founders, with VCs. It's a case of just setting yourself aside from just cold email or phone outreach. Like cold calling absolutely has its place and it's still really, really effective. But you've got to kind of supplement it with other initiatives as well. So what what was Joe finding so difficult then? So are you saying there, sorry, like, you know, was he struggling to get more introductions into other vendors? Or, you know, I was curious on like how many other more VCs have you managed to build good relationships with? Mm-hmm. So I'd say that now we are... We're the in, in, in the cybersecurity space for go-to-market positions, I'd say we're the go-to of probably about seven or eight VCs now. So what did he find most difficult? 
to be in those rooms with those people to get the chance of being seen as a re- the recommendation. So it's track record. And obviously it's hard to build a track record without a track record. So it's finding one that will give you a, almost give you a shot. And then once you've got that, got that case study, you, you, you double down on it. And you, I mean, you, like Crunchbase is amazing, right? Because you can go on Crunchbase and, and our Angelica, our operations lady, she's, she's building out like a Google Sheet market map that literally enables us to see, well, right, we've worked with this vendor or this, this end user, whatever, whatever kind of client it is. Who invests in them? Because normally if it's a VC funded firm, there's, I mean, let's say there's series B or C, like there's going to be like potentially over 10 different investors, potentially even more than that over the years that have been involved in that company. And you can then see, well, what other companies has this individual investor then been involved in? So you're then taking one, one successful project and you're able to use that as an in to, to potentially like multiple, multiple firms, all from one ultimate relationship that's, that's really credible because it's been involved with the VC. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Sourcebreaker. And today I wanted to talk to you about sales opportunities and how Sourcebreaker can help. Because are you tired of the competition beating you to new sales opportunities? Do you want to make more placements from your existing resources? Who doesn't? Transform the way you work with Sourcebreaker. Revolutionizing recruitment with AI-powered technology, Sourcebreaker powers you with laser-accurate search results across all your sourcing platforms to build candidate pools filled with highly qualified individuals, all from one place, not from multiple tabs in different places. You will get perfect fit opportunities automatically tracking relevant vacancies and events in your market niche in real time and pre-built automations that constantly scope your markets to deliver high quality results at speeds your competitors simply can't match. Head over to sourcebreaker.com for more information. Back to the episode. So it was the track record of Joe having like the case studies that he's done this with his other go-to-market teams, which is why you should trust us. So just had to work really hard to get a shot. And then what, when you got a shot, had to, you guys had to really deliver. Absolutely. So especially when now we're doing a lot more work in Tel Aviv, in Israel. So there's, there's a huge tech and a, in particular a huge cybersecurity community in, in Israel. It's an awesome area to work because everyone knows everyone and everyone has an underlying trust of each other because they've all come out of the military together. But the moment you do something wrong or the moment you fail on a project, it, it's also spreads throughout that community so we had a project that in hindsight we, we shouldn't we shouldn't have taken um so we had a, a a devops security company that was i think it was a director of marketing search and they refused to give us manager contact they refused to give us a proper briefing call i really can't remember why we even said oh yeah we'll we'll, we'll get you some resumes but we didn't put proper effort into it so well we tried to win another company and they said oh what, what other israeli firms have you worked with we gave these names and said, oh, well, I'll, I'll call the founder of this firm. And what, what does he say? He's like, oh, yeah, we, we worked with Aspen and they didn't deliver. So we've now ruined, well, I wouldn't say ruined, but we've, made, we've, it harder for we've made it so much harder to break into this other client because of a project that we didn't even put proper time into. And that, that then stems down to having like really, really high standards with what roles you decide to work whether you're an individual recruiter or whether you're a business owner, and especially at the moment where like roles are not as easy to come by, like don't lower your standards in terms of what you're willing to put time into. Like being willing to say, well, unfortunately we won't be able to work on this if we aren't able to do that. This is part of the process and an important part of it. Yeah. And if they're not willing to listen to you or take your advice, then chances of filling that are going to be, it's just going to be really difficult, right? Just find a bit on the, the VC piece. So sat down with a guy called Jamie Weeks, who also did a similar market and spoke about this. What he found was, I don't know if uh, you've seen this through Joe, you and Joe have spoken about it, but uh, what he found was when he did get an agreement in place that they were one of the companies that they would recommend from a hiring talent acquisition standpoint, he thought the floodgates would be opened. It wasn't. <laughs> so there's one thing, you know, being in the room and 
you know, right, we're going to, yeah, we're happy to recommend you. And then I'm assuming you guys are like, you know, you're absolutely buzzing. Guys, we just got a really big VC. You know, last year they invested in 30 different cybersecurity vendors. Like this, this could be huge for us. And then there's just tumbleweed in terms of, you know, the the emails going, hey, Joe, we've just invested in this company or this uh, one of our, um, you know, part of our portfolio really needs support with this. So what then had to happen to maximize relationships? Like, one, did you guys experience that? And two, what have you, what have Joe had to be really good at in terms of like, okay, we've worked really fucking hard to be in the room, to be recommended. Now what are we doing to really maximize the opportunity that we've been given? So then it's cultivating the relationship, literally making sure that you're in really regular conversations with them. Again, it really ties into the events and actually seeing these people in people uh, in, in person. So in Tel Aviv, we held a, a, a we held two lunches. So we did a, a founders lunch and then we also did a, a a VC lunch. And we had I think it was about thirteen or fourteen individual VCs from different and very high profile uh, uh, cybersecurity investors. And these are companies that. Joe has been in contact with for, for a long time. And now things are starting to happen. So this is far from a like get rich quick in recruitment BD scheme. It's not. But when it does pay off, and as I say, it's been starting to pay off the beginning of this year, it's going to be massive. So we recently got onto the, and this was off the back of two successful projects with the end vendors that we did actually win directly with the vendors themselves. So the VC wasn't involved. And we're now on what they call the the platform, or like the value creation platform that one of the largest uh, corporate VCs provide to their vendors. So now when you go onto that platform, because a vendor needs a service, you've got Aspron's name on there. So if you need recruitment, then the, uh, if you need to go to market recruitment, these are the guys that you go and speak to. But it takes time. We've still not had any benefit or roles come off the back of being on that platform yet, but we will. So I think the main thing is just investing in these, these longer term strategies and just having the belief that, no, they are going to pay off whilst you're also trying to do your, your kind of normal outreach and, and generate uh, direct wins as well. That's what I was going to say, like this, I think it's great that you've had this overarching long term strategy, which hopefully is can, you can continue building. But what have you and Joe had to really double down on in the short term to make sure you've got cash flow and all those things going as well? Good email sequencing. Um, so this is where just the the, the the really good sales strategies come through. So really good email sequencing, definitely heavy on the cold calling still. Like I'm a true believer that like those old school sales tactics, they still work. Like anyone that says cold calling's dead. So don't, don't believe them in the slightest. We are still able to have very good wins in terms of just just getting uh, get, 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 getting directly through to founders, CROs, CMOs, and, and picking up roles that way. But they're more likely to have a lot more competition. So it's then whistling it down again and being like, right, well, I've won this role, but do I actually want to put time into it? Or is it more worth my time to carry on searching for a better quality role that I'm more, more likely to fill? So on that, America's so big. How did you initially you know, have a bit of a focus or target or did you not? Because, you know, that's why a lot of companies initially start in certain parts of the US or certain states or, you know, like, how did you approach that? Because there is so much you can go for, like, work, like that surely could have been overwhelming. Well, we were in this really fortunate and probably fairly unusual position where we had like a massive project on day yeah. one. So we, we already had a big focus. It was in... um. It was a company called Neuro. Uh, uh, they have these uh, driverless robots that drive around like Texas and California delivering like Domino's Pizza and like Kruger. So it was really, really cool. So we, we had a focus there straight away. So we were building their automotive security team. And we then built a client base around that project. So they were looking for remote people. I mean, they, they could have been in California, but they were also looking for remote people. So it gave the opportunity of, right, we're speaking to candidates from day one. So we've got people to flip on day one and we managed to build a decent client base off the back of that and like these original recruitment strategies they're still some of the best ways like candidate flipping what does that mean so being able to speak to us not even a senior level candidate any candidate and be thinking what else can i get from this call so what can you get you can get referrals or you can get leads so every candidate knows someone for some form of role that you have whether they're actually any good or not is different but they, they do know someone that they could recommend to you for something. And they will be able to give you a level of intel 
into their company, what's going on hiring, who does the hiring when they are hiring. And it's just thinking, like, I can I can get that information from every single candidate, every single conversation, and, and just, just making sure you get it. Especially now there's so many, like, automation tools and so many, like, amazing things that recruiters have that never used to have. It's easy to get away from, actually, there's some really core activities that, probably the most effective ones that a lot of people then forget to do on a on a consistent basis. Mm. Is there anything else that you think a lot of people forget to do? Update the database. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh, right? But when you're building out, you know, a new market, you know, a new company, you should be excited about that and take that seriously, right? Absolutely. One of the biggest things in it is it's become a lot more important this year is is just like having regimentally high standards and the database is one of those things, and especially especially new recruiters that are new to the industry, they can come and be like, "Well, why why are you on my back for updating the database?" And it's a case of having clear and actually accurate data. Like six months, a year down the line, you'll benefit from that. So when you need to get a manager's number instantly because you've just seen they've got a role. And actually you can't because you didn't put that number on the database. And now you need to search through your whole Outlook email box, your LinkedIn email box. It, and something that should have taken you 20 seconds has, has, has taken you minutes. And it's just a case of those, those real basics. You can't build a really successful recruitment desk unless you're doing those basic things right every day. So a few, just a few bits on the, on the US then. And keen to talk to you a bit about... You know, you being a business owner and how you've had to adapt there and how you've approached, you know, growing and, and building your your business. Like you've always so previously you'd, you'd always done the UK market. We did a tiny bit of the US at the very end. I think I did like three placements into the States. But so, yeah, Joe, Joe did a few more, but very, very few. And as I'm sure you've seen, like there's definitely it's, it's definitely been really popular for the, over the last couple of years of UK companies doing more in the US. Like what, what's been your, your experience? You've spoken a lot about, you know, BD strategies, the, the experiences that you guys have had. But, like, what have you found to be different over there, if anything? Like, you just said, you know, just doing really good quality recruitment basics and these things are still so, so effective and really important. So, like, what have you and Joe found to be different over there, if anything? I don't think it's that different. When you look at people talking about it on LinkedIn, like sometimes there's, I feel there's this misconception that, oh, I'm going to instantly start doing the US market and it's going to be way easier. I'm going to win loads more clients and I'm going to triple my fee. And like, yeah, you can triple your fee with each placement you do, but it's still hard. It's, it's no easier and I don't think it's any harder. It's, it's still recruitment. It's just into a brand new market. So I stand by it not being any different. And again, this just comes back to the, the, the current climate and the current market. Like if you're not doing something that stands out and gives hiring managers, not so much candidates, but gives hiring managers a reason to talk to you and, and genuinely sets you apart from other recruiters that are probably just as good as you at delivering and finding candidates and representing people, then they're not going to talk to you. And there's very few people that actually have something that's a, a, a genuinely unique talking point. But one of the tools that we give to all of our consultants is we've got a non-profit initiative. So we're giving, well, we've got a mentorship and then like a, almost like a scholarship program that's no fee attached to any any stage of it. It's completely funded by by us. And we have cohorts of, of candidates that are trying to break into the security industry. We pair them with industry mentors. Uh, again, coming back to Angelica, she's kind of running all of that and she is running it like an actual training program. And then we're also paying for their uh, like three core uh, cybersecurity certifications. So... Instantly, we're able to say to it, when someone asks you the question of okay, but why are you different? Bet that most recruiters don't have a genuinely unique answer to that that doesn't rely on our, our database or our ability to find candidates or our work ethic. Whereas what we're able to say is, well, if you work with us, then you're actually directly funding early stage cybersecurity careers and. You can actually, especially if you're in person, when you're talking about that, you can see like a noticeable like changing people. They're like, oh, okay, wow. And it allows you that conversation. So I think the most important thing in in today's market is making sure that you've got something that allows you to get the foot in the door. Because if all you're doing is sending cold emails and all you're doing is doing cold calls, just MPCing or just specking in candidates, 
there's probably 20 other people doing the same with candidates that are just as good as yours. So you need something that allows you to stand out and allows you to get on the phone and give them give you that time to, to talk about your services. And what are the other tools that you guys have found work then besides a non-profit, mentoring? I, I love that initiative. That's great. Because it's sort of all self-serving, isn't it? It's in line with what you guys are doing, trying to get more people into the industry. Like just really it goes in line with the mission and the industry that you're serving. But obviously what, what are the other tools that you found to be effective? So they're, they're the main ones, that and the VC route. And being able to leverage some some really really high profile recommendations within the cybersecurity ecosystem, they're the biggest things. I thought you were going to say the podcast. Completely forgot the podcast. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about the podcast as well. Yeah, I'm sitting here in this room. I've forgotten about the. Uh, I've forgotten about the podcast. Because I know you guys have put a lot of, a lot of effort into yeah. that. Yeah, no, you're right. How did I miss the? Uh, how did I miss the podcast? <laughs> so yeah, the, the the podcast has been huge. So we. We haven't even been doing it that long. So it was it was this year. In terms of published, I think we're like episode 30 or something. So it's not it's not been going that long. But we've got it to the stage where we've got the PR companies that represent big security vendors, well-known security vendors, reaching out to us, asking to get their clients on. So we're actually getting like proactive requests for people to come on it because there's underlying business value to these people coming on our podcast so like we didn't expect that to happen like we started it as almost like a bit of fun and to 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 be able to have those conversations i mean we might have just got back from from vegas by the time this this episode goes live but we're we're out at a big security conference in vegas at the beginning of august and we've got something planned around the podcast for for that week that again, I won't say what it is, just in case this goes out before uh, before they go out. But we've got some some things that just we we haven't seen being done by other people because there's a lot of recruitment podcasts out there. There's a lot of really good ones. So again, it's trying to think. Well, what what do I do to elevate that part? And I think it's just trying to stand out at every single thing you do. So how does that help you guys? Is it that you can reach out to people and say, "Hey, we've got this. Would you be interested?" How does it work in practice? Are you making sure that? You know, every time you have maybe a prep call, we speak to them as like, this is what we do as a business. This is what we have. Like, what, like, how does it, how does it turn into business? So directly, we don't use the podcast as a, a BD pitch opportunity because I'm sure a lot of people do. I think the moment you do that, it almost becomes false and it becomes, okay, so you just had an underlying agenda of having me here. It's like if after this you, I mean, maybe you're going to, but if, if after this you pull me into, uh, in, into room and like, right, Here's a 10-minute demo on recruitment mentors, <laughs> on, on Hector now, yeah, sorry. Yeah. This was purely just so you could have an opportunity to pitch me to get my business. And it it, 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 it almost like makes the relationship and the whole the whole recording seem a bit false, right, if that were to happen. So so that's that's not how we use it. It's, it's relationships. It's being able to know that actually I can now call you and we've done this thing together where I reckon you'll now answer a call to me and we can have a conversation where at a time it makes sense, like we can then talk about the business side of this and we can talk about how we can have a commercial agreement. But I don't I don't think doing it in an, an intake call or before or after the podcast is the right the right thing to do. Very quick one from me. Vin Cherry are one of our podcast partners. And Vincherry, if you don't know already, are an all-in-one recruitment agency software. And I wanted to tell you a bit about the different parts of their product. And today I wanted to tell you about intelligence. Vincherry's intelligence suite is all about empowering you with actionable insights so you can make better decisions and coach teams to higher performance. It's pre-integrated with Vincherry Core CRM and offers the ultimate analytics combo you need to run a successful recruitment business, particularly in the current modern landscape, people working in the office, people working at home. You're going to be able to get access to a library of 50 plus out of the box best practice dashboards. We all love a dashboard. Or you can even build your own using the self-serve analytics studio. Customer using Vincherry love the KPI console, the data integrity, fees forecaster, and temp and contractor dashboards, to name a few. Find out more about Vincherry as a whole and Vincherry Intelligence by using the link in the show notes. And because you listen to this podcast, you will get 10% off your user seats. 
back to the episode. We've covered a lot of the details on like, assuming all of these types of things have equated to why you were able to do a million back to back in terms of net fee income, right? So how have you had to grow up as a business owner in these past two years? Do you know what I mean? Because being an employee, you know, growing someone else's business is different to you and Joe running your own business. So I think something that you said to me on the prep call, which is quite interesting. So you said by the second year, it was like six of you said, didn't you? Right, yeah. So so I think you said to me on the prep call, it was like the opposite of what I normally hear, which was, I think you said, correct me if I'm wrong, I felt like I tried to get away from being in the business too quickly. And you were so set on only working on the business. Whereas a lot of recruitment owners that I speak to feel like they're too much in it and want more time on it. I don't know how recent this has been, but like you were saying to me that, yeah, I think we actually went too far that way. So why don't, why don't we start there? Like what's been, yeah, like where, where did that come from? And you know, what, what were you trying to do, which maybe now you're actually having a bit of a different approach to? Mm. So towards, well, probably middle towards, yeah, like Q3, Q4 last year, so 2022, we'd built a really, really strong client base. The market was absolutely flying. And it was a consistent client base. Joe and I were very much focused on the vast majority of business we were able to pick up and we were able to win. Let's pass it straight down. So let's give it to our consultants, let's spread it out, and let's build the let's build the business that way. I'm sure you know Mike Watman, absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think we probably took one of the things he said a little bit too too literally. And in terms of the world, as a business owner, you want to concentrate on working on rather than in. And I think we just took we took a bit too much of a step away. And the goal of being able to kind of really feed and 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 fuel the growth by passing the roles down. I think that what that probably did is bearing in mind we've technically hiring three people as 360 consultants is it might have created slightly the wrong mindset in terms of oh like now we should be expecting these positions. Give a couple of examples. So Tanya, one of our senior consultants, she was able to win it was about $155,000 worth of retained work which she successfully filled off the back of a trip to the US, a trip to San Francisco, completely new business. And one of our other other senior consultants, Brody, like he, uh, he he's on track for Target this year, which is a very good thing to say, given this market, I think, for a lot of for a lot of recruiters. And about 80% of that is independently 360. So I think it was just then that kind of shift in the mindset of actually Joe and Ollie are going to come back on to working in the business. Um, not completely. I wouldn't call myself like a 100% full-time recruiter. You, you, you can't be. But I think it was important to, to, to kind of get back to, to being hands-on. Also from the, like the enjoyment perspective, they missed recruiting, missed speaking to candidates and, and, and closing candidates and that buzz of like, oh, I've just like closed an absolute belter. So I think it was important for, for everyone um, that Joe and I just become be like, right, we've probably stepped a bit further than we should have done. Let's let's get let's get let's get back to to, to really driving it from from the from the front rather than trying to trying to kind of feed it from from the back. How did you go about changing that mindset? Because I literally spoke to a recruitment company the other day that felt the exact same where mm. they've got a team of people who have got used to being given roles, have earned good money, but now trying to drive them to you know pick up their own business or be motivated to do that and they're struggling to do that or just aren't that motivated because they're like oh no Ollie will sort me out he'll get he'll pull a roll through or Joe's gonna Joe's gonna pull a roll like Joe can just do more BD how did you go about starting to change that getting closer to like KPIs and getting closer to, to metrics and like we're far from a traditional like boiler room kpi shop where it's like right you have to do three hours of call times before you go home or you have to send 10 cvs if you want to leave on a friday like we're we're far from that but we do have a big emphasis now on these are the metrics that you should be hitting if you're going to be building a successful 360 desk and what one of the other things that we've learned over the last 18 months of actually having a, a team is what kind of meeting structure do we want and what kind of management structure do we want and it's it's taken quite a long time and quite a lot of like chopping and changing to to settle on where we're at now. But we're pretty confident now that we've like locked it down and it's 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 working. So we have like weekly pledges at the start of the week. 
Love that word. Weekly pledges. Yeah, we do key objectives, but I actually really like that word. Weekly pledges. So that's on a Monday. On a Monday. And the pledges are separate from the KPIs because mm. the pledge the KPIs, well, this is what this is what I kind of need to be doing. This is what good looks like. Yeah. Whereas the pledge is like this is what I'm actually aiming to do. This is the meaning and this is the the context behind the KPI. So for example, oh, well, I'm going to deliver X number of CVs to this specific role. I'm going to try and convert this specific prospect that I've been speaking to. And then I'm going to do this type of specific out. Let's say you're doing a, a, a MPC, so most uh, a spec out. I'm specifically sending this candidate to X number of this type of business. Yeah. And then it's really easy to then be like, okay, well, halfway through the week, right, where are we at? So you have another meeting on Wednesday. Yep. So another another meeting on Wednesday where we're just kind of taking stop on, right, where are we at? And things change. Like you might have had a new role come in. So it also enables you to kind of recalibrate on what the priorities are for the week. And then on a Friday, it's then a case of there's a 20% left of the week, right? Like it's still, a, still an important day. It's right. What have we got left to do? So let's make sure we drive that forward. And we literally, since we've kind of locked in on that structure, there's been such a difference in the team. And also in terms of them feeling feeling a bit more ownership and a bit more responsibility over the pledges, which in turn help achieve the KPIs. I really love that. We do something similar. It's taken from this podcast, to be fair. Weekly key objectives on the Monday, a Wednesday pit stop session. How are we on track with things? And then... Friday, don't have a meeting, but very much sort of communicate in the morning. When when do you do like the more management stuff as well in terms of one-on-ones, these types of things? Do you do that weekly or? So we do one-on-ones. So I, I tend to do um, the one-on-ones, which is straight after the morning kickoff, the Monday kickoff meeting. Uh, we always do a, 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 a one-to-one. So that's then much more around well, what? What do you actually, because we don't, you don't want to be sitting on a team meeting, listening to someone else's incredibly detailed granular plan, which if you like, if you've got a reasonable sized team, like you're sitting there for an hour and only like 10% of the meetings relevant to you. So you've, you've switched off. So we try and keep the team kickoffs like very much short to the point. And then the one-on-ones go into much more detail of, right, uh, like, what do you need to do? And what what do you need from me and what do you need from Joe to enable you to do that? So we found that works as well. But it's been a lot of chopping and changing and it's it's definitely created some, uh, up until the last last couple of months, it's definitely created some kind of inconsistency because it's probably like, oh, fuck, Joe and Ollie have another another great idea on how to how to do our weekly structure. But is they're so impactful when you get those, right? Yeah, and I feel we're there now. It's just taking a bit of time, but we we came from a business where there was nothing. Like there was a there was a Monday there was a Monday meeting like eight a.m. on a Monday um, where we talk about activity, and that that was it. We've been learning all of this as we go. Like we're not like I mean, was it Sam Sam Perry from from Salt or Soda? Um, you had him on oh, Ollie yeah, Perry. Yeah. Ollie Perry, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Like their structure's great, and we took a lot from that in terms of actually. Do you know what the structure that we're now creating actually seems aligned with what a really successful business yeah. is doing so it gave a bit of confidence in terms of actually i think we've got it right now it's just about like like we're talking about driving performance right and there's got to be that element of people having autonomy and wanting to you know achieve the performance and then from a leadership management perspective holding people account or having ways of holding them accountable whilst also then having systems in place in the business to help these people to perform better, right? And one of them is getting people set up for the week, helping them understand what their priorities are, these things. Just to round this out then, what are like the important KPIs in your business then? You know, what have they ended up being? I don't know if they've evolved. Like what what's like the dashboard, you know, what's on those metrics of the dashboard that you look like in terms of, uh, that you look at, which, you know, identify what good looks like out of interest. I'm just curious. So the most important things that we care about is first interviews. Uh, per week and then BD engagements per week and BD engagements which is defined by three things so we define a BD engagement as either a new pitch so you've actually had a sit down like pitch call with a prospect you have either won a new qualified role or you have uh, signed a terms of business so what that means and the reason we've done it is two is really you should always be aiming to have one pitch per week 
But if you're sitting there on a Thursday or a Friday and you're like, oh, I've not, I've not been able to do any successful BD, you can still go back through and you can chase all of the people that have outstanding terms that for whatever reason haven't got back to you. So you've got an opportunity to still achieve it there. But you've also got an opportunity to go back through all of your existing managers, all of your existing client base, and potentially pick up a role. So we thought it's it's unrealistic to have just two pitches per week, because if it's the end of the week, you probably can't immediately get a proper BD pitch. But you can spend an hour calling your, all of your existing clients and you can win a role. So we're still making it achievable towards the end of the week with minimal time left. So BD engagements and first interviews. First interviews. And then we measure loads of other stuff, obviously. But You see those as like the lead domino to getting towards the outcomes. Absolutely. If you're consistently doing what well, we, we target it as a minimum of three in our market, that's, that's, that's fine for us. A minimum of three first interviews on qualified roles per week. Like you're, you're doing deals. A real quick one from me, and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. How else have you had to evolve as a business owner and have evolved that mindset? What else have you really had to learn on the job or get better at or improve on? You know, we've spoken about you know, BD strategies, how you've gone about that. We've spoken about driving performance, managing people. What else have you and Joe really had to, that maybe you've been surprised by or, you know, how have you, how else have you had to like, yeah, like quote unquote grow up as a, as a business owner? So all the back office bits that like you have zero exposure to as a, as a recruiter, you have absolutely no idea what or how much goes on in the background. And we, we, we launched our business through Recruit Hub. So Edmund and, and, the, and the team, and they've, like, they're fantastic. So they provide all of like the technology, all of the, the tech stack and all of the tech support behind that. And then they also provide the, so we didn't take investment from them, but they, they provide the, the platform and the, um, like the back office support. So all of that being in one place is a massive help, but there's still so much you have to do. So like, just like payroll, looking through finance, like the tax side of things, like making configuration changes to Vincherry or Sourcewire or Sourcebreaker, like all of these things that they take ages, like calling the bank. <laughs> We spent an hour and a half on the phone to, to Wise trying to sort out an issue with our USD card for, for, for our trip to, to San Francisco a couple of months ago. And it's like, I've just lost an hour and a half of my time to sort out a bank card. And it's all those little things that, that add up. And if we were to launch again, I'd make this one of our very first hires, and that's operation. The single most impactful hire to the whole business and to Joe and I has, has, has been Angelica, our operations lady. So what she does and what she's able to do like in terms of the podcast and in terms of a lot of the stuff that was bogging Joe and I down is, is huge. So I, I definitely make that as like beyond like your first two actual recruiters, I'd, I'd be hiring operations and I'd be building that underlying infrastructure that enables you to scale. So, Playbooks, training, I still need to do a lot of this, but like flowcharts of exact processes that enable you to not have to do one-on-one training for every single step of the process. So there's loads of stuff that should be done in person, 
like the sales aspect and the actual like candidate and the the, the talent and the, the the client management that should all be done by by a person but then there's loads of stuff like the the tools and the process and the like the sequencing that that you can just you can almost automate the training of that just by spending the time to build it out in the first place. It's just doing all the upfront work that then you can use multiple times until it's a bit outdated. But you don't truly realise that until you've done it manually six, seven times and you're like, I could have just done this once. I was just curious on like what you view makes up the infrastructure to help you guys grow, whatever that looks like. So you've said playbooks, systems and processes, how we do things, training. What else do you view in that? journey of like these are the things that we need to you know invest time in and get done that we're going to thank ourselves for in a year two years three years time i mean what everything you said are the main ones it's just it's doing them properly so like a lot of the things like we we did but we did them half-assed and they weren't actually usable so they were or they weren't they weren't complete so when we tried to use them it was then Oh, actually, there's still loads of gaps missing. So now I need to go back and redo it manually. Yeah, and then I also need to redo the the actual like the playbook. So I think it's just that that upfront time, especially as you're growing and like you're still trying to generate revenue to keep the lights on. It's really hard to set aside a few days to do something that's not generating you revenue like in the remote immediate future. But if you are looking to scale and hire a lot, then it will you'll 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 thank yourself like a, a few months down the line you use the word playbook there obviously i feel like because of the world that you guys are in that that's fairly normal language mm. so so like for me you know when i think of the word playbook and how i've used that in my business we've got a sales playbook we've got a customer success playbook we're building a marketing playbook so from a sales standpoint if you go into our sales playbook you're going to be able to see our sales process you're going to be able to see our talking tracks and scripts for the different parts of the sales process. You're going to be able to see our case studies, our testimonials, et cetera, et cetera. What does playbook mean for you? Because you sort of chucked that in there and not everyone will be aware of that. So like when you say playbook, what, what does that consist of? The playbooks is part of this, but we've got uh, like an internal like intranet. So we've got, and we call it our knowledge base. So we've got a, it's on Nucleano, so re- really good tool. If and we use Notion. Personally. Notion, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's designed to be whatever you need as a consultant, you can go and find it there. So it's everything from case studies, uh, like search strings. Well, to be fair, you don't need them. Actually, we've got Sourcebreaker. That one's null and void. But there's also like every form of like document. So rather than uh, ask like shouting out to the office, oh, has anyone got like, a candidate call sheet or has anyone got a qualification sheet, whatever it might be, like everyone just knows it's in one place. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a huge help. But then within that is, is the playbook. So we have, I mean, you could call it training. Playbooks are, are training, but I think it's, it's more specific because the way I view a playbook is I could hand this to you and say, go and read this and action it and you should be able to do it. Yeah, it's like how we do things. Yeah, and what's been working, like what's working, and how will you do things? So, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's why I was interested in how you viewed it. Mm. One of the main ones we have is the, like, the cold email outreach, and well, not not just email, the cold outreach for for, for sales and the the process and the structure, and then kind of bringing in Sourcewell on exactly this. This is how you should be structuring your your outreach, and that's what we're getting the good responses from. So, yeah, it works, but it, it takes. It takes time. It takes time to build, but you can it, it quickly builds. Yeah. It's just, it honestly, is crazy to me that, uh, like, so many recruitment teams and smaller grown recruitment businesses won't have anything like that. We didn't have anything. Like, we had, we had a phone and a LinkedIn recruiter license and email and, like, some job boards. And beyond that, there was, there was no, we didn't come from an environment where there was any form of training there was any form of structure it literally was a case of like there's your target go and yeah. do it our bosses were great in terms of if you go and ask them something they'd always give you the advice but there was no like set this is this is how we do things and especially as we as we grow and as we continue to build i, I think it's so important yeah so like it's crazy just because so like for me i don't know what you think about this but like if you're listening to this right now and you have nothing like that that that's fine what we're saying is like use the people around you. This is what I think is such a missed opportunity. Like if I think of when I was in the business I was in, it was eight people. The top performer that sat next to me, like I didn't know what was working for them. 
Like they could be specking out a candidate in a certain way, using a certain subject line, using certain personalization that could help me fucking open up doors. And I have no clue about it. I have no idea about it. So I think for me, when I speak to companies, they do, you know, they have nothing like that. Like I say, one, I think that's a missed opportunity. Have you and your team ever asked your top performers, like what's working for them and why they think it's working for them? And is that knowledge being passed around the office? Because if it isn't, like why would you not use that information that's in your four walls and like if you want to just try and get better at bringing that out a good just first step you don't have to build a playbook or anything a good first step is get time in the diary with the team and let's all go around the, the as a group and just share what one thing is really working for me right now on the sales side or on you know qualifying whatever it may be within go to market there's a few different areas and each of our team have a they're not they're not set to it, but they they have their areas that they gravitate towards, and they're quite different. Like if you're qualifying a marketing role and you're doing it well, you need to know, you need to get different information. So if you're qualifying a sales role, we ask the team, we ask their their, their input because I don't know that much about marketing, whereas people in the business know know huge amounts about it. And we then build out well, these are the things that are important to a hiring manager. These are the things that are important to a candidate when hiring for salespeople, when hiring for sales engineering people, when hiring for marketing people. So now if you like we could give you the qualification sheet for sales. And even if you'd never qualified a sales role before, you would be able to qualify someone to the to the absolute max yeah. just by asking the questions that are on the playbook. Mm. So that's so valuable, right? Mm. What's on the horizon then for you guys? We're moving to uh, to Bournemouth. We're uh, yeah, we've had a big big change in the business the last two months. We've made the decision to to shut the Crawley office. So Joe's always lived down there, and I think we realised that actually the two founders only seeing each other once a week in an office based firm originally didn't just just there it just wasn't quite it wasn't quite clicking. There was never major issues, but it was just like, we're not as effective as we could be. So we now very much have a, a remote and flexible first environment. We've still got the office in Crawley at the moment. When that shuts, it will be a case of the the team can very much work remote. Um, we just ask them to come down and everyone be together a few days out of the month. And yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be growing significantly down there. It was part of, I think, when it's difficult to get blinded by it, but when... When you realise that something's not necessarily clicking as it should and when you realise that there's a way to be more effective, even if it has some element of like business impacts, like positive or negative, you just got to do it. Because we, as expected, we had a bit of fallout from that decision. Of course we did. We've just told people we're shutting the local office and we're moving 100 miles down on the south coast. But I think it's that bigger picture of Joe and I know that for him and I, being back together is going to transform and make us so, so, so much more effective. And the people that are on board with that, they realise that it's going to make things so much better for them as well um, in terms of what opportunity we'll be able to provide them. I wonder if this was Joe's grand plan all along. Yeah, maybe. He's just been uh, you down there, mate. waiting to, to drag me down. So what, what are you guys doubling down on then over the next, you know, to make, as like a lot of people said, it's been a difficult start. What are you and Joe really focusing on and doubling down on, making sure you have really high standards around to end this year on a positive? So, yeah, I mean, where you mentioned standards, huge emphasis on high standards in every aspect of the business, huge aspects of, uh, of accountability to those standards as well. As we have been doubling down on the, the the non-profit initiative, we're doubling down on the trips. We'll get people on planes as often as they can be effective getting on, on planes to the US or to Israel or to, to APAC if they wanted to build an APAC desk. And very much focusing on, uh, on, on hiring experienced remote talent across the UK and then trainee talent or experienced talent down, uh, down on the South Coast. Yeah. Ollie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, mate. Thank you very much. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, 
podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.